Okay, Power Rangers, let's do it! Go, go, Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 26 of the Jetman with a Golden Gun, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Chojin Sentai Jetman. Every week we watch an episode of the show, we share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J. With me, as always, is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how are you doing today? Oh, can't complain. Having a, having a nice day, man. Yeah, it's a, it is an evening record. Haven't done one of these in a while. Yeah, well, you know, well, actually, we're about to talk about why, because my evenings have been super busy, but now they're they're not. So, Dave, speaking of that... Matt, speaking of... Now, first, I just want to say, before we get into this, that uh, today we're mm-hmm. watching episode 26 of Jetman. It's called I'm a Primitive. But before we get into that... okay. Dave, Shining in the heavens, there are five stars. What is our first star of the week? So, uh, our first star of the week, Matt, is actually, I just referenced, because we're doing an evening recording again, which we sometimes do, uh, but we haven't been able to do recently, because, as I mentioned last week, I was in the middle of play, play season, uh, up until last weekend, and uh, listen, man, I love teaching theater. Like, I really, really genuinely dig it. It's like a ton of fun. My classes are like cool and like kids are interested because it's like theater and it's an elective and they get to do it. And uh, doing the plays themselves is a blast, but it is just like, it's a monster. Uh, anybody who's involved in theater can kind of tell you just how much goes on as part of like a show as you know like making a show happen oh yeah and so the like the whole week after a show is just me uh s- sort of blindly stumbling through the rest of my life just, just sort of like desperately trying to catch up right of all of the things that I didn't do for the last like month and a half uh, I'm now trying to like kind of get my life back in order because it's just like, I mean, like I mentioned last week, man, like it's like 14 hour days. It's nuts. Dude, I was thinking about this and you are lucky that you are married because if I had a job where occasionally I had to work 14 hour days, like for an extended period of time. Like, my apartment, I think, would literally collapse. Because, like, I would not clean. I would not do... Like, I would get all of my dishes dirty. And instead of taking the time to do my dishes, probably just stop at the CVS on my way home and buy paper plates to last me through the week. Listen, man. uh, Credit where credit is due. Like, first of all, uh, we... Like, at this point, Beth and I know, like, what play... Because, you know, like, I did theater in, like, high school and some in college and stuff. Not a ton. Um, I actually, weirdly, I was not a theater guy, really, in high school or college. It was after college that I really kind of fell in love with theater in, like, a big way. Well, we went to a remarkably Um, small high school, and the theater program didn't start until you were halfway through. 
Right. Uh, so, but so, we, uh, at this point, Beth and I, my wife, are like, we're pretty used to it. So we like, we, we like bunker down the house after a fashion. Like, as show season is starting, we're like getting everything super clean because there's just enough energy to maintain it almost. And then, so it's not too bad by the time the show is over. Because let me, t- like, dude, Beth works on these shows. I'm not going to say, like, almost as, like, as much as I do, but it's pretty close. Like, these shows straight up would not happen if my wife were not there to help out. Uh, like, all the all my students know her. Okay. <laughs> like, they know her. They're excited when she shows up because she's, like, the cool aunt of, the th- of like, the high school theater gotcha, department. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, like she does all the costumes, she helps with props. Cause there's no like there's no uh theater infrastructure at my school. Like, cause they when they hired me, they were like, Hey, uh, we want you to build a theater department. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool, let's do it. <laughs> but there's not a lot of like support structure there. Right. So and so uh theater. so Beth handles you are the theater department, like Full yeah, stop. I am the theater department. Well, that's not quite true because I have a technical director who does like uh, sets and stuff like that. Okay, right. But yeah, aside from that, like I am—I'm not the teacher. I'm the department. It's just me. And so, uh, so sweetie, thanks for all of your help. Uh, but yeah, man, we're in—I'm in post-show season, and I was going to talk about something real, real briefly, uh, which is set strike. So there is like kind of one aspect of uh, the end of a show that I actually particularly love, and it's set strike. Uh, set strike, sorry, if you're not like a theater person at all, set strike is just when you tear down the set. Like that's, that's just what that is. Like there was a set and then you tear it all down and that's set strike. But it's super cool, I think, because um, set strike is kind of part of like the weird magic of live theater. Uh-huh. So like follow me here. Like when you build the set, it's just the set, right? It's just like, you know, you put the thing together. Uh this year they built a house, like a fake house. It was kind of amazing. Oh, wow. I'll show you pictures of it. Um and it's just kind of there, and then you put the actors on it, and suddenly, in some strange way, it becomes very real. Like capital R real. Okay? Uh and that's super cool. Like that's kind of the magic of live theater. Is like this thing is fake, but somehow you put real people on it, and they pretend to be other people, and it somehow becomes real. Uh, but then when you tear it all down, and you just go back to this kind of big empty uh, auditorium stage space, like it was real, and now it's not. Like it was here for this like ephemeral moment, and now it's gone. And it's just this kind of it's this really neat. Um, I don't know. Like I keep saying the magic of theater, but that's the best way I have uh, to describe it. Okay. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no japes on that one. It's just like a genuinely cool thing that's in my universe. So, um, so yeah. So theater, everyone. Apparently magical. It's magical. So yeah, uh, I'm super happy to be done with the show and, uh, that's kind of it. That's all. That's all I right. got, man. Uh, what's our second? Uh, what's our second star of the week? Okay, Dave. Our second star of the week. I gave a teaser on it last week, but over the weekend, uh, I went with an old roommate and a friend of his to the Wizard World Con in Cleveland. Oh yeah, how was it? 
Okay, so here's the thing about Wizard World Con in Cleveland. Now, I should say, I went on a Sunday, which is like the last day. It's like a half day. It's the last day of the show. And I feel as though if a cool thing were going to be happening at this show, it was going to have happened on like Friday or Saturday. Okay. And so... Okay, so like by the time you got to... Right, by the time I got there, it's just like a big room with things to buy, and in the back wall is like this wall of black curtains, and there are big signs up telling you who the famous people are who are standing behind those curtains. That like, if you want to pay $100, you can go back there and have your picture taken with Henry Winkler. And, like, I guess I was in the same room as the Fonz, but basically I was at, like, a big pop-up nerd mall for the afternoon. Okay, wait, though. So it's just like, like, it's literally a curtain, and, like, the Fonz is just, it's it's like behind curtain one. And yeah, and Jason David Frank. If you want to shake his hand, it's a hundred bucks. And like a couple of people from Agents of Shield were behind curtain three, and I think Thor or Chris Hemsworth wasn't there, but he had been there the day before. And like maybe there's a whole thing behind those curtains, but like I did not pay to check that out. Because wow, because here's the thing: is like Wizard World Con, like it is a Comic Con and it is in Cleveland, but like Cleveland is not like. You know, it's the second year that it's been here. Wizard World is like a Mm -hmm. touring show. It's not like, you know, going to San Diego or New York or Chicago or like, you know, any of the cities that have their own annual Comic-Con. It's like the traveling show that like you can go to Wizard World in any number of cities. And they're all kind of like the mid-market cities that have enough people who would go, but not enough people that like would go every year, you know? That they have their own thing. Okay. And so really, like, and there were some local vendors there. Um, uh-huh. But, you know, you're just sort of wandering through and seeing things that you can buy, which is fun. But, like, honestly, I'm, like, I have kind of trained myself to not buy stuff in those instances. Yeah. Except that's, for no, the things I'm the that same I way. buy, which I'll tell you in a minute. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that really <laughs> happened. I almost, like, bumped, like, physically bumped into Neil Adams. Um, That's cool. I was like, oh, maybe I should say right? something to that dude. But like, I have not read uh, his new like wackadoodle Superman book where he goes back in time and like meets Darkseid's <laughs> dad in Egypt. Because <laughs> apparently that is a thing that is happening right now. Man, I don't even. Yeah, sure. Uh, but <laughs> um, and you know, like there was a bunch of Power Rangers stuff that I could have bought, but I, I I try to keep that stuff sort of minimal in my life because if I don't sort of hold on tightly, then it's going to get completely out of control. Yeah, dude, I have discovered with like uh, like nerd paraphernalia, at least for me, that's all stuff that I want very much for like a week. Like if I could rent it, that would be cool. You know what I mean? Right. Or if I could but I don't buy want just like in a box and send it back in time to myself in high school. Like perfect. Yes, that would be great. But like, I don't need a bust of Thanos for my mantle. Like, I just that's not my world. Right. Like, you what know? am I gonna really do with like a huge poster of the Flash? 
Like it right. looks cool. Well, but like, a poster is actually what my life is going to be now. Nah, probably not. Probably not. So wait. So what did you actually buy though? Okay. So here's the thing: is I thought I was safe. Like having said all that, I thought that I was safe from spending any more money. <laughs> but Dave, okay. they had my kryptonite. They had mugs. Oh, they dude. had novelty mugs. You do not know how hard it was for me to not buy the mugs and the pint glasses. No, uh, <laughs> it was this one stand had gotten like on clearance, so they were like four or five dollars a piece. Just piles of the Marvel Essentials, like black and white, huge phone book collections. Oh, yeah. No, those things are awesome. It was all this stuff that isn't on Marvel Unlimited. And I just, like, I just needed to buy, like, seven volumes of this stuff. So I got, like, like five volumes of The Defenders. Because I'd never really read The Defenders. And so this goes from, like... Not quite the beginning. I think it starts on like volume three, but then it goes through like the weird stuff where like some of the original X Men join the team, and there's the gargoyle, like the orange dude with like the purple harness. That dude is all oh, that stuff. Yeah, that guy's. Mm-hmm. But then yep. also the more exciting bit is that they had uh, the two volume set of the essential rampaging Hulk. And Dave, do you know what the rampaging oh, Hulk is? Man. Uh, wait, I was thinking of something else. No, I don't think I actually do. Okay, the Rampaging Hulk was this weird thing in the 70s where, um, it wasn't a comic book as such. It was a black and white book. It was, I think it was maybe one of, like, the Marvel Epics things, because it was published not as a comic book, but as a magazine, which meant that it had sort of different rules like i don't think it had to follow the comic code it was all black and white it was kind of outside of continuity but like the the one bad thing about these essentials volumes is that they're all black and white so you lose that color but these were originally done in black and white and it's all like totally bizarre oh stories it's great okay <laughs> um, that's awesome I, I kind of i'm only just getting into them now so i can't get into any details but that is that was my comic-con experience i went i wandered around um i did not spend six dollars on a hot dog i did not meet jason david frank but i did buy a whole pile of hulk and defenders comics awesome Okay, Matt. Uh, so normally uh, we would, I would, I would now talk about something, but uh, I don't have anything because, as I mentioned before, right. I'm kind of like the a living. Yeah, I'm stumbling my way through my whole world. But you are a responsible host, so you just went out and did a whole bunch of stuff this week. So, what's our third star of the week? Okay, Dave. Our third star of the week is that we talked about it la- once again. We talked about it briefly in passing last week, um, but this week I actually remember to do it. I have seen now the first episode of Zhuozhir. Oh, no way. Okay. Is it as good as it looks? It looks really good. Okay. Zhuozhir is weird. I mean, listen, the entire premise of our podcast is that Super Sentai shows are weird. But here, I was going to say. <laughs> so here, here is the, here's the deal with Zhuozhir. Um, you start off on your main character, his name I've forgotten, but he's the Red Ranger. Okay. Right. He is like a zoologist, like nature tour guide dude. Yeah, that, of course. What else would he be? And he's like leading some children through the woods. Uh, he drops his All lucky right. charm out of his backpack and chases it down a hill. 
His lucky charm is a strange alien cube that in a flashback later in the episode we see was given to him as a gift by a crazy bird person. Um, who is like and that's just shadows, and he just chills out with very that like clearly a crazy bird person. All right. Um, and he just is there any explanation and he or he's just like oh yeah that's my lucky cube that I got from a person in the shadows. Yep, that is what he says pretty much. And I'm sure that throughout wow, the season, okay. like we will get a little more on that. But as of right now, it is just his lucky alien cube. Uh, so he <laughs> All falls right. to the bottom of this ravine. He picks up his cube right. and he looks over and sees a much larger cube that has a small cube-shaped hole in it. And so he, I think of I course, see. I think I can see where this is uh, going. He puts his cube in. The cube opens and it is a portal to the world of the humans. I think Zhu, Z Y U, is how the sort of Anglican, how it's spelled with English letters. There is a word for that, but I cannot okay. pronounce it right now. Anglicization. Thank you. Um, sure. I think that word means like beast or animal. Oh, okay. So they are the humans because uh, Zhu Ranger was also like a like a big animal thing because that was the dinosaurs. Anyway, all that aside, the the point is that in this show there are humans or like a humanoid race of animal people who exist. In what I can't tell if it's on Earth or not, or like in another dimension, because they keep saying, like, oh, throughout the world, like the world is bursting with life, that we've only discovered a certain portion of it. So I can't tell if they're trying to indicate that, like, somewhere in the world, there is a valley filled with animal people, and they live in a town where everything is made out of cubes, because in this place, Everything is made out of cubes. It's just all, it's all okay. Cubes. It looks like it was made. It looks like it came in, out of Minecraft. Is what it looks like. Everything is just made out of cubes. <laughs> like I think honestly, they just said like, "What is the most popular thing right now?" And let's do that. Cubes. Uh, so like the four <laughs> other dudes uh, are animal people. There's like a lion dude, an elephant dude, a shark lady, and a tiger lady. Um, okay. They all get sucked back through the cube because those four are like the guardians of that cube, which is the gateway between the two worlds, which might also be the same world. All right. And there used to be five of them, but their fifth member ran away, which is, is like, I assume is the crazy bird dude. Oh, uh, uh, okay. And so they think that that, like, our hero has stolen the cube anyway. They all go back to Earth because, like, the human guy is trying to escape. And they chase after him in the middle of an alien invasion. And this alien invasion, this race of aliens, is all, like, arcade game themed? Oh, because what? Because they sent down a dude and, like, you know. So, wait, but not, not alien themed. What's that? So, sorry, not, not animal themed. The enemies? No. Okay, sure. Yeah, animals versus arcade games. That works. Exactly. So, <laughs> I, I don't know what's so difficult about this concept, Dave. Um, because when the, the monster they're fighting gets defeated, like they send down a coin as an extra life, and that is how it becomes a giant for them to then fight? Um, 
And then the animal people transform into like human versions of their animal selves. Oh, and also the cubes that they were using like summon giant cubes that then all fit together to make like an extremely blocky Megazord. Uh, and I do not know what's going on with that, except that it does look like there's a lot of different combinations that they can make of their five cubes. Okay. Which is cool. I'm probably not going to end up watching more of it until like it's all out and I can kind of binge on it. But yeah, that... this show, Dave, is weird. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. But, 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 okay. But, well, I, I feel like I definitely say... at least have to check it out. I do want to say that I've been hearing people uh, talking crap on the costumes from this season. And I'll tell you, like, uh-huh. most of the costume, like, you know, whatever. Like, it's it's kind of a boring look. But the helmets, if you're looking up, like, some footage of this show, the Sentai, like, costume helmets are tight. They've okay. got, like, some cool, like, sculpting to them. They're very cool. Anyway, that's all I've nice. got on I'm, that. I'll like, it's that one episode a of a show. Uh, I... Uh, we can't talk about it all day because we have a different episode to talk about. <laughs> right. Uh, what, Matt, is our fourth star of the week? Fourth star of the week, Dave. And, oh, gosh, we are running along. I will try to keep these short. Next star is, I spent 10 hours the other day playing WWE 2K16. That's uh, that's a lot. Dude, that's it a lot. sucks you in. Uh, I will tell you, only about two hours was actual wrestle time. The rest of the time was literally just... You were making... Like, there were three of us, and we were just making wrestlers and building a ring and designing a belt and, like, putting a roster and a show <laughs> together and building rivalries and just, like, doing all of that stuff. <laughs> Dude, like, it's, that is a all-night event. And I, if I didn't have to go to sleep at 3 a.m., then I would have kept doing it. There's a thing where you can take a picture on your phone and it uploads it to the, the game and you can put it on your dude and build your guy around like your human face. Wow. Which is great. No, that's that awesome. Do it. Please make sure that you are in warm, even lighting because otherwise your face will look like a goblin. Like I <laughs> like the shape of my face was so good. And then I like I pulled out and really looked at it in comparison to the rest of my body, and it just looked like someone had thrown a huge like handful of flour in it. It was just pasty white. Uh okay. And then we tried I to do really, another okay, one, so but I mean, it was in like a darker light, and so everything was like a little purpley. And when you just put it on the wrestler, it looked as though that dude's face had just been hit so hard that it was a giant bruise. And there was so just nothing you are you can do doing. About it. So this is like a Vince McMahon virtual simulator, right? Like you are designing wrestlers, creating wrestlers, generating the whole thing, right? Like yes. you are just running the WWE. Yeah, sort you can of. Do that, and then there's another option where you can take your character and run him through like a career mode where he starts in NXT and has to like build his way up to the main roster and try to become the champion. So I'm going to ask a very real question, or rather, I'm going to posit a theory. Uh, are we in like a last Starfighter situation here? Like, is Vince McMahon secretly dying and he needs someone that isn't Triple H to take over the WWE? And if like you're good enough at 2K16, <laughs> like it's like an ostentatious limousine train- shows up outside your door? Yeah, like it's not a way to train you to be a wrestler, but it is a way to train you to be a booker. <laughs> right. Oh man, uh, that would be. Uh, nice. I 
Listen, I'm going to be honest though. That might that's that's probably wishful thinking on my part, but I think that almost like virtually any job would be improved if the job search was just done via like the last Starfighter. Uh, dude, then you would love the season Mega Ranger cuz that is how that season starts. Uh, okay. A couple of, a couple of kids out. get last Starfightered into using the finest technology that like 1995 has to offer. Because it is a technology-based show, and so one dude is like, I'm the Floppy Disk Ranger. I don't know if it's actually the Floppy Disk Ranger, but it's all kind of stuff like but that. But he's... <laughs> That's great. Anyway. Um, but all no, right, man. I mean, the answer to that question, no, is no, Dave, because if Vince McMahon had access to that level of technology, he would be using it to build himself a robot body so that he would never die. That's a good point. Yeah, that actually... That's probably, probably very true. Uh, so what, Matt is our fifth and final Star of the Week. Dave, okay. Remember earlier when we were talking about how I was just doing stuff to fill this week to get enough yeah, stars? Yeah, I remember, I remember you saying that. And sometimes we have to do this because, like, listen, guys, like, I'm not, I don't do that much interesting stuff in my life, so sometimes trying to get a full five stars every week is a real stretch. I gotta go out of my way. I gotta do things I wouldn't otherwise do <laughs> to, like, do bring some something. stuff to you, the listener. And sometimes, Dave, I have to make sacrifices. I need to do things that otherwise I would never do. And in fact, I do not like. <laughs> so what... I actually don't know what this is, Matt. What What horrifying thing did you do? I watched the first episode of Fuller House. Oh. Uh, see, that's the level of dedication that you can expect uh, from Dave and Matt J. I, I did Super it. Sentai I mean, I, you know, so, I'm, I'm a human. I'm on the internet this week, and that's just what we're all doing. We're all watching at least the first episode of Fuller House. And, uh, dude, okay, how 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 can I tell you about this show? I don't even know. Okay, here's the deal. It's a bad show. Like it's a bad <laughs> television show. I want to get that right out, like right away. This show is not a quality television show. Okay. Okay. I don't think. I mean, I wasn't expecting it to be, but... However... Was anyone? However... Because, I mean, listen, let's be real. Full House was not actually a very good television show. See, that's the thing. It's a bad show, but it's a perfect Full House show. It is exactly Full House. Like, it is not a, like, fun remake of Full House. It is not... Like, they wink at the camera a lot in that first episode because... I mean, uh-huh. listen, it's been 20 years since they made the show. They all got back together, almost. Um, and they were going to wink to the camera basically every chance they had. But, like, it's just another season it's of It's just full house. house. It's not even a different house. It is the same it's house. It's the same. They are in the same house. It is the same people. And it's just the exact same show. There is a new generation of children and like the old adults. I think they're in the first episode, but I don't think they're in most of the season. They sort of hop in and out. Okay. Uh, Like, dude, this show got, it was, it was sincere, but like, like so sincere and earnest that I had to just like go somewhere else until the scene was done. Like there was a musical break. Where Jesse and the Rippers sing Jesse's, like, the song that he sang to his wife, whose name I think was Rebecca, maybe? Yeah, it was Becky. That sounds That's right. right. 
Uh, so he sings the song that he sang to her at her wedding. Uh, it goes on for a couple of minutes. Like, there is crying, but, like, full house crying where everyone is, like, very, like, sentim- It's Oh, my. I, I almost can't find the proper words to tell you, Dave, how much you should not watch this TV show. Except that maybe you should watch it once. Like, I think that's kind of where I've come down. Like, you probably like, shouldn't just go watch, watch the first of Fuller House, but you should watch the first episode. All right. Okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll go. Uh, they get I mean, I'm not really going to make any promises here. some but... explicit things about Kibby Gibbler. I will tell you that. <laughs> like, they do not go all the way, but, like, there, there is no doubt as to, like, what the hidden meaning behind the things that they are saying are. That's uh, uncomfortable. I'm cool without that. Thanks. Extremely uncomfortable, Dave. So now, why don't we stop talking about that bad show? And on that note... And start talking about this good show, Dave. It's episode 26. I'm a primitive. It's break time. Okay, welcome back. So, we have just finished watching episode 26. Chojin Sentai Jetman. I'm a primitive. Dave... What did you think about this episode? Uh, this is one of the all-time greats, it's a, I gotta it's, say. It's a special um, one. It's really special. <laughs> yeah, it sure, it sure is. So, uh, brief overview. You may have guessed, and I don't feel bad about saying because it happens in like literally the first 30 seconds. Maybe. Uh, they fight the Jetmen go back in time. The Jetmen go back in time. They do eventually come back, uh, but Raita is more conflicted about it than any of them. He is the uh, titular primitive in this episode. So we start let's get started off at Raita's fields. We know this because there is a sign that says Raita's fields, and Raita is working away. I think he's making some cucumbers. Making he's growing. He's harvesting. He's growing. He's sure, growing. making. I think actually, Matt, uh, th- this is like an urban gardening patch that he has started because, like, he is—he's not at his old farm. He is surrounded by other buildings. So my thought was that Raita is just so like he just loves like farming and gardening and everything so much that he has staked out a piece of land, maybe like outside a sky camp or something. Because you may remember that his farm is by like a horrifyingly dangerous like canyon right the one with no fence yeah the one with absolutely no safety precautions whatsoever that's like maybe a hundred feet from his door yeah that uh but that's not anywhere to be seen so i assumed that this is just a, a new thing that he has started so he is there uh he is shoveling and sort of enjoying making produce again i just keep right. saying making. Just i guess the that's garden. just how i think that things are done He's like in no, the cucumber factory. No, he says that. No, he says that. I think is is why it's in your head is because Raita says there's nothing as great as making vegetables. And that is what he is doing. Uh, he's doing yeah. that. He's eating a cucumber and he is flashing back to a time, I think in the very first episode, when Kauri was trying um, some of his cucumbers and complimenting them on him on them rather and say like oh these are really great did you grow these and he's just you know because if as you recall 
one of the twists in our maze of love is that Raita is in love with Kaori, even though he knows that it will sort of forever be unrequited. Yeah. And he has like, he's sort of made his peace with that. Kind of. He's still pining, but he's at least like being fairly cool about it, I would say. So he's just kind of reminiscing. His cross changer goes off. It's Ryu. Ryu just says like, Raita, a bio-dimensional beast has appeared. You got to get over here. And I love this because the episode is wasting zero time. Like we do not see the plan. We do not see like the transformation of the thing into the bio-dimensional beast. We do not see an explanation as to what this thing is. We just show up mid-fight and like this thing is already rampaging. Yeah, it's very abrupt because normally there's like a fair amount of exposition for each beast, and this one is just it's going crazy. Uh, so the, the biodimensional beast time for that this week. I'm gonna forgive that, Matt, uh, because we're brothers. Are you gonna and forgive I love it you. this time? <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> um, okay, Matt. Uh, Listen, so dude, the biodimensional beast that the oh my gosh the biodimensional beast that the de- Jetmen are fighting is a uh, time space mammoth, uh, and it is a giant mammoth, and it has a clock on its forehead and an hourglass at the end of its trunk. Dude, it has two clocks on its head because it has a clock on it has like a digital clock on his forehead, and then the top of his head is like uh like an analog clock with the hands. I actually did not know, amazingly, did not notice the clock on the top of his head. I guess I was too uh, entranced by his whole, like, trunk By just, hourglass. like, his whole scene. Because, guys, this guy looks the best. I love Time Space Mammoth. Yeah, it's awesome. He's just got, like, he's got, like, some gold highlights for reasons I don't totally understand. And he kind of looks like he's wearing a full fur coat because he's a mammoth and he's just got some fur on. Uh, Yeah, it's a real, he's intense looking. So he moves with a swagger, would you not say? Yes. Yes. I think that might just be because, like, the way the costume itself is constructed. Like, the feet are real big, and the arms kind of have some some girth to them. So I think he has to sort of swing his arms to, like, move comfortably in it. But it definitely does give him uh, an assured assured swagger. Uh, so the Gemini attack. And, you know, like, they, they get a couple of shots off. Uh, but the important shot that they get off is that Raita does, like, a flying punch with his winged gauntlet and really clocks Time Space Mammoth. Or TSM, as I've been taking to call him uh, in my notes. I have so he really clocks Time Space Mammoth. Yeah. Uh, well, Time Space Mammoth is a lot to type when you're trying to get this all out as we're watching the episode. So, <laughs> it is, uh, and, yes, and TSM. It is a handwriting mouthful. <laughs> Uh, so TSM uh, is real angry as this happens, and he unleashes his power attack, uh, and he just like blasts all the Jetmen with some sort of energy beam. Uh, I think from his tusks, like his tusks glow, and then they shoot a beam at the Jetmen. Okay, now as he shoots them with this beam, he says something about his time slip, right? And they're sort of like stumbling around like their head hurts like they can't figure out what's happening the the screen is sort of spinning and the digital clock that's on his forehead which was set to 1991 
uh, starts counting down, like going backwards. And so what's happening is he's yes. zapping them with a beam that is going to be shooting them back in time. Now, I want to say one thing before we move on is that his digital clock display says AD 1991. In the first episode of this show, do you know what year it told us it was? 1990X. Uh... Uh, oh. So I guess hmm. X equals okay. one, folks. That's your that's your Jetman algebra <laughs> for the day. So as this is happening, Rita says, "Like ah, I'm not gonna lose now. Like it's time for one more attack." Jumps in, like punches or headbutts or whatever time space math math. Oh, that's right. There's a big explosion, and then everything goes black, and the Jetmen wake up like in a field, but only four of them. Rita is missing. Yeah, so the Jetmen wake up. Uh, Kauri is the first one to wake up, and she kind of goes and gets everybody else. And then they realize that Raita is not there. So we flash over to Raita, who is in like he's in like a loincloth with some like armbands. His glasses are still on, sure, uh, and he is in some sort of kind of primitive hut. All right, yes, and. He wakes up and he's like looking around, he's very confused, reasonably so. And he's like, try, he says he has no idea what's happening, right? And then he hears someone come in to this hut. He looks up and it is, it's Cave Cowrie. Like, it's the same actress. Yes. Uh, it and it's, but it's Cave Cowrie. She's in like a, yeah. And she is in just like a not great cave, cave lady costume. Yeah, there's... Is this the best co- way to put that? Yeah, got, this like, episode has a hair. lot of cave person costumes, and they are all... I'm not going to say appalling, but, like, they're not great. They put all of their design yeah, work into time-space are... matter. Yeah. <laughs> this... The degree of costuming that's going on here is, like, if you ju- if you went to, like, the Halloween store, you know, like, those pop-up Halloween stores that appear every year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, they, and they sell... Yeah. It's that caveman costume, but from, like, the bargain part, because they do have some, like, real intense costumes there. Right. This is from, like, the discount portion of that store. Like, if you show up to that store the day before Halloween and are like, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope they still have a caveman, this is the one you find. Yeah, precisely. Although, I do, I gotta say, I love those stores, love them, because those stores are, um, like, I go every year just to pick up LARP props. Oh, yeah. Because they just have, like, a bunch of weird stuff. Yeah, it's like LARP prop heaven. Uh, The great thing about shopping for LARP props, actually, is, like, normally when when you you go shopping for something, like a prop or whatever, uh, like for a show, you know exactly what it is that you need, right? Right. LARP LARP prop shopping, uh, say that one three times fast, you just wander around until something looks nifty, and then you just buy it, and then you decide later what it will be. Um, so <laughs> it's just an excuse to buy like cool chunk. You just like reach into like your prop trunk and are like, okay, what can I write around this weird gobbly thing? I, I mean, honestly, yeah, precisely that. Like, I just have a pile of weird junk, and if I can't figure something out, I'm just like, all right, what's this? Uh, I don't know. It's kind of bluish. Well, plate of ice, sure. And go. then you kind of go from there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so anyway, sorry, sorry. I, we're, we're kind of off track here. So uh, Cave Cowrie arrives, and Rita, of course, assumes that it is actually Cowrie, 
and he is super excited. He's like, "Oh my gosh, Kari, it's uh, like it's good to see you. Like, what's going on?" Uh, and she, of course, doesn't speak whatever she doesn't speak Japanese, and so she's just kind of staring at him, but smiling, like she's friendly. And like after a few moments of interacting, Raita finally figures out, like, "Oh, this is not Kauri. Because she says, like, no, 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 no. Like, I am not whatever sound you are making. I am Rika. Yeah. And so he is like, Rika. And then she's, I'm not quite sure how she gets this, is that she thinks his name is is Yata. Um, I think she just maybe is mispronouncing Rita. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, although <laughs> there is kind of a funny moment where Rita is like, he is clearly, like, intrigued, but also, like, embarrassed. Because, uh, like, Kauri dresses, like, very conservatively. Uh, cave Kauri is in, like, a kind of a two-piece bathing suit style cave girl costume. Yeah, and <laughs> so Raita is like, super embarrassed. Uh, yeah, because obviously, like, you know, he's really into Kauri. But he's like, this is, I shouldn't be, this is not. But, like, kind of trying to check her out of the corner of his eye. It's a cute moment. Uh, so then the other cave people arrive. And Wright is like, hey, what's... What's going on? Like, he's still not real sure. Right, because up uh, to this point, he's just up. like, he has run into Kauri's doppelganger and he's in a hut, but like, he hasn't gotten the full scope of what's happening. So like, he gets a little freaked out. He runs out of the hut and looks around and is like, oh, like, am I in the Stone Age? Which, I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things that's both really obvious and kind of a stretch. You know, like you're in a weird right. like spot and you are surrounded by people who look like cave people. Like, yeah, of course you're in the Stone Age. But on the other hand, like five minutes ago, he was in Tokyo in 1991. So it's a little on the fence as to which way he should be going with this. But in either case, he uh, figures listen, it out. I, right. Uh, he was fighting a monster called Time Space Mammoth. And for some reason, the Jetmen seem to inherently know the names of all of the enemies that they're fighting. So, you know, if I were fighting Time Space Mammoth and then he got blasted with weird energy and then I woke up and was surrounded by Stone Age people, I might make the jump too. So we go from there to the Varum Dimension. And Maria is complimenting Grey because apparently Time Space Mammoth is uh, Grey's monster. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and she's like, that was such a good idea, sending the Jetman back in time. And Tran and Radigat are like, ah, no, 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 it doesn't count. You still have to defeat them. Right, like so far, Which you I just feel like that should time. count. Yeah, I feel like removing them back to the Stone Age should count as defeating them. But apparently for Tran and Radigat, it only counts if they see, like, Jetmen corpses in front of their faces. Right. So Which is a little nitpicky. It really is. Because, like, dude, they're in the Stone Age. Like, if you just close off the way for them to get back, like, they're gone. Like, they are fossils. Yeah, like, that's it. So, but what they, but, but apparently, like, okay, like, yes, but this is my plan. Because Jet Icarus can't go back in time, which, again is something that makes total sense, because of course Jedi Icarus can't go back in time. But on the other hand, like, how does Grey know that, dude? Like, Jet Garuda came from another dimension. Like, Time Space Mammoth can send things through time. Like, he has no actual proof. He is just assuming <laughs> correctly, but he's literally just guessing that they don't have time travel. 
I did, that did not occur to me. But yeah, uh, I don't know that he can safely make that assumption, especially with the appearance of, if it was just Jet Icarus, I feel like it would be a little bit stronger. But when Jet Garuda arrived, it's like, they, okay, now the Jetmen have like dimension chopping capabilities, which they don't use, but whatever. Uh, okay, so we go back to the Stone Age, and Wright is just kind of like running around. Uh, I think the assumption is, is that he is looking for the other Jetmen. Yeah, but he hears uh, Rika call to him, and he kind of looks over, and she is standing up on like a little rise, and there is a vine next to her, and she jumps on the vine and swings down, and kind of launches herself at Rita, who catches her, and like sets her down. He's like, "Wow, why did you do that? You made me so nervous. It was very dangerous." And then she gives him uh, a bouquet of like. Just the least convincing plastic strawberries I think I've literally ever seen. Yeah, it's like it's such a bad strawberry prop that they did not even check to see what kind of bush a strawberry grows out of. Because these are like grape vines that have strawberries on them. And I will tell you yeah, something, but that is not what a strawberry bush looks like. Right, uh, and the strawberries are giant and also, also, alright, this is a little nitpicky, but I'm going to say it anyways. Uh, modern strawberries are like a weird, hybridized, like, cultured plant that we have created. So, I don't know where Rika is getting, like, full-on, like, giant modern strawberries in the Stone Age, but she's got them. And so she gives them to Rita and kind of mimes to him, like, oh, you need to eat these to, like, be big and strong. And now... Yeah, and she, like, does a little flexing move. And now Rita, I feel like, is all in on this. Because here is Rika. She looks exactly like Kauri. She wants him to be big and strong, which is his whole deal. And she is giving him produce, which is his other whole deal. Right. Uh, So she's, like, she, like, makes the miming motion to eat. And then she, like, does a flexi motion. And he's, like... And then he says... He does not make any sort of mime at all. He just says in Japanese... Oh, you want me to eat these so I'll grow big and strong. And then Rika just like nods, like, yes, uh huh, that's exactly what I want you to do. I totally understood she the words. He has you just no said. idea what he just said. <laughs> right. I just, I really feel like Rita also should have been miming, but whatever. So she laughs and nods, and they are eating strawberries together very happily. So we cut to the other four Jetmen. Now, okay. The timing of this episode is very difficult to track because when you look at it from writer's perspective, it feels like he's been there for, I'm going to say, minimum a week. Yeah, he definitely is like super comfortable, uh, very invested in this relationship with Rika, as we will kind of see later. Uh, Like the cave people are kind of into him. So yeah, we'll see that sort of going on. The rest of the Jetmen seem like they show up, like find a cave, start a fire to like get them through the night, and then the next day are like in action. But we're we're yeah. not there uh, yet. I just wanted to say some... that now because it's gonna get like kind of hard to follow. No, it is kind of a weird thing. Uh, because then also like they have some fish that they're roasting, and then Guy is so angry he has a modern apple that he crushes. Because he's, he's furious about something, uh, which is A, weird, because he has a modern apple, and B, 
uh, maybe don't get rid of your food in an unfamiliar environment in potentially the Stone Age guy. Who knows when you'll get another apple? Very true. But Guy, he, he's too passionate, Dave. He's furious. He's too passionate. stuck in the Stone Age. And what can they do in this age? Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> so we Ryu, go, I guess it's the next yeah, morning. Ryu tries to, like, talk him down. But, like, you know, what is he going to say? Like, no, just chill out, yeah, Guy. Right. Don't worry about it. Everything is 100% cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't imagine that's, like, a real comforting speech. So we, we go to the next morning. And Raita is, he's with the cave people, and they are starting, uh, they're trying to start a fire by, like, rubbing, rubbing, uh, like, the spinny stick, spinny stick method. I'm sure there's a name for that. But they're trying to start a fire via spinny stick method. And Raita, like, stops them, and he says, oh, no, just use your head. Like, he, like, points to his head, uh, which doesn't make any sense because they don't have lenses. But he takes his glasses off, uh, and he uses his glasses to focus sunlight to start a fire. Right. So at this point, like, Raita is Prometheus. Yeah. Uh, I also, I just want to make a real quick note that I was going to make a Lord of the Flies joke, and I have avoided it. So I'm you're so welcome. Proud of you. Yeah. Thanks. Feels good. Uh, <laughs> so the cave people now worship Raita as a god. Like, literally, they form a ring around him and are, like, like kowtowing. Right, yeah, and he's like, no, uh, no, no, it's fine. I didn't do anything special, but like, he does not make them stand up. He is like, he is soaking it in. <laughs> right, like, he is saying with uh, his so words then, that it is not that big of a deal, but they do not understand those words. Right, and so then we see him, and he's sitting inside the hut, and he has gotten a piece of rock or metal or something. I don't exactly know, and he has tied it to a stick with a very very advanced piece of rope. Uh, like, <laughs> he's not like strapping it on with like primitive vine. This is like modern braided style rope. And so, and he, he ties this thing to it. And so he basically makes himself a hoe. Um, yes. And he's he, like showing no, them how to. It, to... Course, as his super plow, but it's a hoe. Yes. Yeah, it's a hoe. Uh, it's a hoe. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, and he like shows I, I them how to Dave, cultivate you have the now garden. Done the the congratulations I had given you for dodging the Lord of the Flies joke. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Um, so he he shows them how to cultivate the garden, and they're just like, "This is amazing!" And then we see Time Space Mammoth, who is sitting in a volcano eating. Jewels. Yes. Like eating amethysts. It's, it's such a great, weird seed because it's completely out of nowhere. Yeah. And he just says, eating these jewels will raise my power to 100%. Because why would And then it? they'll see. Yeah. Uh, just to be clear, guys, there are no jewels anywhere on this costume. He has never referenced them in the past. Uh, there is no part of Time Space Mammoth that would lead you to believe he is somehow gem-powered, uh, but he apparently is. And a quick note so on the gems. he says, I will eat these gems. A quick note on these gems is that they are not, like, in a vein, like, in the earth. He hasn't, like, dug these up. It's not, like, eating the minerals or anything. It is, like, a... 
basically a table that he has down there just covered in loose gemstones. Right, like cut, polished gems. Yeah. Um, and that's it. That's that whole season. He just chills on the volcano eating jewels. So that's great. Commercial break. Uh, we, go, <laughs> we go back to Raita, who has been made chief. Or God. Uh, as indicated by the fact that he has a chair, and they've put, like, a crown of flowers on his head. And it's one of those, like, cha- it's like a palanquin. Like, it is a throne that they can, like, yeah. lift up and carry around. And so, uh, Cave Cowrie walks up, and he, she has, like, a flower necklace. She puts it on him. She kisses him on the cheek. And then he has a dream of marrying Cave Cowrie. It's, like, them walking down an aisle... Not an aisle, just like walking down and there's like cave people on either side of them. And I felt a little bit weird about this because he clearly has only known this girl for like a couple days, a day at the most. And it is apparently enough for him that she just looks like Kauri. Because I want to be real clear, they cannot communicate. Like they do not yes. speak the same language. They, they speak the language so of he's, produce. Right, and he's basically like, this girl looks like the girl that I really like. I'll just marry her. Like, that will, that'll scratch that itch. <laughs> right, not right his greatest moment. So, uh, but as this said, he is shaken out of his dream because there is an earthquake. Oh, Dave. And then... <laughs> the, the special effect on this earthquake <laughs> is tremendous. <laughs> This is the greatest thing I've seen in a while. Because there's they don't even bother with just like trying to shake the camera around to simulate an earthquake. They literally just flash us a picture. Not a photograph, mind you. A like a crudely drawn landscape painting. And they just <laughs> shake that around in front of the camera. And then they cut over to the mountain. And what's so insane about that is, like, it looks bad. Like, it looks so bad. And it took more. It took so much more work to do that than it would have taken to just point the camera at an actual landscape and shake it around. Like, they had to get somebody to I paint just, that thing. Dude, my, my only idea... And I just, I want this to be true because it would actually be very nice is that one of like the producers or like prop people or filmers or something kid did this painting and asked their parent if they could please somehow get it onto the show and this is how they did it. Because that would be very nice and no other explanation is remotely satisfying. I mean, the only other so, thing that I can think, Dave, is that they were somehow so ahead of schedule and coming in so under budget that they just had to, like, spend the money and they had time to kill. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I'm not sorry. So, okay, so Time Space Mammoth attacks uh, the village and presumably also the painting. Uh, and Raita is just like, in a hero mode, he's just like, everybody back. Like, I'll go take care of this. And he, like, runs up and he says, you think I won't fight you just because you're bigger than me? And then he goes to cross change. And it is only now that he remembers that he does not have his cross changer. Right, he, is like he hasn't had it motion. the whole time. 
Right. Like it had it's not like he just like left it back in the hut. It's been gone since he came to the Stone Age, and only now does he remember that he doesn't have it. Uh but the other Jetmen arrive. They have managed to locate Raita. They still have their cross changers. And so they kind of descend from the sky and they like they're like, okay, Raita, like, cool, all right, awesome, you're great, it's everything's okay, you're cool. Uh, and then they're like, you should get back, though, because you don't have your cross-changer, and that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, like, they are kind of distressed that he is missing it, and he is explaining that it's been gone for a while. Now, at this moment, behind a bush, Rika is looking on, and somehow, like, gathering the information from their gestures that uh, Raita is missing his cross-changer, and that she should go get it for him. Because we get a flashback to... When Raita had landed in the Stone Age, um, his cross changer had like fallen off of his wrist, and Rika had grabbed it and like I don't know, put it in a bush or something. Yeah, dude, who knows? But she knows where it is. Uh, oh, just in case it's never come up, when the Jetmen cross change, their cross changers disappear. So it's not as though she is seeing the other Jetmen with their cross changers on. This is entirely inference on her part. And so she goes and gets, like, she runs away, presumably, to get the cross-changer. Uh, the other Jetmen say, like, we need Jet Icarus, but we can't, like, get him here. Like, how are we going to do this? Ryu says, oh, I know what to do. Just aim for the bump on his head that Raita gave him. Because remember, at the very beginning, Raita got in, like, the final hit on Time Space Mammoth. And I guess just gave him like a goose egg on his forehead. And Ryu just says, just shoot that. And like, that'll be good enough, I guess. Yeah. So they pull out their bird blasters. And they shoot the bump on Time Space Mammoth's head. And Time Space Mammoth is just like, oh, I'm out. Like, he crackles with, like, time energy, I guess, which just looks like electricity. Uh, A big sort of hole breaks open in the sky, and he flies through. And through the hole, the Jetmen can see it's Tokyo of 1991. Yeah, 1990X, Matt. Um, And so they all just, because remember, Jetmen can fly. So they just fly through the time portal. But Raita can't get to it. Yeah, like, the other Jetmen just see a hole, and they're like, See you, Raita. We are out of here. They do not pick him up. Yeah. Like, you would think they could bring him with them. They've got plenty of cross-changers back in Sky Camp. Yeah, uh, they don't, though, because they just, like, they just go. And then we see the jet machines, and they're already in their jet machines, and they're attacking Time Space Mammoth. And then we go back to the Stone Age, and we see that the rift, the time rift, is starting to close. Yeah, because Akko says, like, right. hey, if we beat this guy, then that rift is going to close, and Raito will just be stuck in the Stone Age forever. So, like, we need to do so, something about this. Uh, and what they do about it is continue eh. to ignore that problem. Yeah! <laughs> like, she says that she states the problem, and then no one addresses it. Um, but Rika returns in the Stone Age. Rika returns with the cross changers, and she um, she kind of holds them out. And Raita says, "Like, oh my gosh, you've got my cross changers. This is so great." And he kind of like goes on about it for a couple of seconds, which like, dude, time is clearly running out. This time rift is shrinking. You've got to deal with this. Uh, and so he, but he reaches to get them, and she pulls them back. 
She doesn't want him to leave because she has somehow put together that if she gives this dude this two bracelets, he will turn into a jet man, which, by the way, she has not seen happen, and then he will fly through this time and space rift, which she has no way of knowing what it is, and he will disappear forever. She's very intuitive, Dave. You ain't kidding, I mean, man. she must be, uh, because there is literally no other way for her to have gathered this information. <laughs> so so she hugs him, uh, or he hugs her. He's conflicted because he's fallen in love with cave cowrie because he can't have real cowrie. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to be real, Dave. And then I she kind of... this, like, three-minute scene to catch up on my notes while we were watching it, because... From what I recall, it's just the two of them, like, kind of crying and shouting each other's names. Yeah, it goes on for a while. And again, I just want to really emphasize that the time-space rift that is Raita's only chance of returning to the home that he knows and loves is closing. Oh, yeah. Like, and time is not the slowly. They're running out of time. And he is just chilling out yelling Rika's name back and forth with his own name. Uh, But anyway, she finally kind of gently pushes him away and she puts the cross changer on him, which she somehow knows how to do. Uh, We get a quick shot of Time Space Mammoth just straight up pimp strutting through a city as like explosions are happening around him. It's kind of an amazing shot. Uh, We flash back and it's just like... Raita, he cross-changes, and he says, I'll never forget you, or something like that. And he flies through this time-space portal. Rika is very upset. And he got there, like, just And then in we time. are just in time. Uh, because time-space mammoth has blue, blue sparrow, right, is the jet machine? Yes. Yeah. So he's got the blue sparrow, and he's sort of, like, shaking it around, and Akko is in trouble. When Raita appears and drops a giant rock on him. And now it is on. Everyone is excited to see him. Um, I, I hope they are doubly excited that they got to see him without putting in literally any effort to get him back. Yeah. Um, he calls yeah, for the just jet scramble. Real... They form Jet Icarus. They fight for like a second where Jet Icarus just picks up the Time Space Mammoth and throws him across town. Uh, and then they call yeah, for Jet Garuda. And th- which seems kind of like over... I mean, like, listen... I. I want to say I am on record as not understanding why they don't just always lead with their best attack. Uh, but since it's established that they don't do that, I kind of wonder why they call Jack Garuda because Time Space Mammoth, they're clearly winning this fight. Uh, but they call Jack Garuda. They do the Great Scramble, Great Icarus. They form Great Icarus. Uh, Time Space Mammoth tries to get off a couple of hits. Uh, Great Icarus don't care at all. Knocks him over, throws him to, like, the far end of their sort of, like, city center park, as I think where they are, because they're in the middle of a city. Yeah, but he gets, like, like, physically thrown without knocking over any buildings. So that's kind of what it looks like. Um, and as yeah. he's trying that to would get be my up, assumption. it is Bird Amazer. I, okay, I really dig Bird Amazer. Bird Amazer? Bird-a-mazer, uh which is, if you recall from last episode, it's the they check, uh, Great Icarus puts his fist together, and it's like talon fist things, and then there's a bunch of electricity, and then they shoot just a blast of energy, and it destroys the thing. The thing I really dig about it is that it's not tied to a weapon at all. Yeah, it is interesting it's for them to have just... a final move that isn't weapon-based. 
Yeah, because, you know, like in Die Ranger, it was the Cherry Blossom Cut Sword or whatever it was. Uh, in Jetman, it's the Burdonic Saber. But Great Icarus just literally shoots like an energy blast out of its chest and wrecks this fool, uh, which I think is super cool. I kind of dig it. And it looks really neat. So that's it for Time Space Mammoth. We cut to a field of strawberries. And we hear, I think it's Kauri, say something about strawberries. And Raita sits up, thinking that it's Rika, which makes no sense. Like he had been sleeping. Raita. Like, I think oh, he was that's napping right. in the he field. And so as he wakes up, he's not sure where he is. That's because right. Okay, that's discussed. much more That's it much more. It seems as though Raita spent, I don't know, anywhere from a week to two months back in the Stone Age. Yeah. <laughs> Long enough to have established so, new but, patterns. So what happens is, is that the other Jetmen are coming over, and they're just like, oh my gosh, Raita, they just found this thing. And there's like a magazine article about it, and they say, it's the oldest mural in Japan. And it is like it's just very obviously right up, and they it's like, and they say it's about a Stone Age hero that was like super amazing, and then there's a moment, so they're looking, and there's like right on the chair, which makes sense, like right was on a chair, and there's right with a hoe, which again makes sense because right definitely had built a hoe, and then there's a picture of right and he turns into an owl and flies away. Now, you might be saying, but Dave, that totally makes sense because Raita is the yellow owl and he totally did fly away. Yeah. But it doesn't show Raita turning into Jetman yellow owl. It literally just shows him turning into a yellow owl. And listen, I like the Jetman costumes, but they are not like specific enough that I would be able to look at one and say, oh, you're clearly meant to be an owl. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like they don't turn into owls; they're just people in suits. So I don't. I that was just that was very weird to me. Uh, and then the other jet man are just like, right? Can we have some strawberries? And he says, yes, I've grown them the best way, the cave, the Stone Age way. And then they all laugh and they eat strawberries, and that's the end yes. of the episode. So a, a real special episode this week, uh, Dave. What was your high point? Uh. I think my high point is uh, Time Space Mammoth. Dude, he's such a good like, look. He's so cool looking. It's a mammoth with a hourglass on its trunk, and he has time powers. And he fuels himself up by like meditating in a volcano and eating gemstones. It's, and it's you can't beat that. No, really, you can't. And what's so amazing is that like. <laughs> the, the Vyrum have created a giant mammoth creature that can travel through time at will. And their greatest plan was to just zap the Chetmen and send them to the Stone Age and then follow them there to kill them in the Stone Age. The entire point of that plan was to just separate them from Jet Icarus. That was the only advantage it gave them using the power of time travel. I just listen, man. The, I my assumption just has to be because they don't know exactly. Okay, it's very unclear how much foreknowledge the Viren commanders have as to what each monster is going to be like slash be able to do. 
because sometimes it appears to be totally random. And other times they're like, wow, this was a really good plan on your part to have created Time Space Mammoth to send the Jetmen back in time so they can't fight with Jet Icarus. So I'm not exactly clear what the deal is. But um, Matt, what was your what was your high point for this episode? My high point has got to be uh, Caveman Raita. Like, I just love how into being a Caveman Raita was. Like, I don't know if we mentioned it, but like... Right before Time Space Mammoth came back and the Jetmen found him, he was having this internal monologue like, I could just stay here. I could just hang out and farm and yeah. like, be the hero over the cave people. And he was just so happy. Yeah, he was pretty into it. Into it en- enough that I really thought there was going to be a lot more conflict on his Like, there was some conflict on his part. Well, no, there wasn't. He was sad about leaving, but there was never any moment where he was like, yeah, I might just stay once, like, the time-space rift opened back up. I was really expecting a moment where, like, no, I think I'm just going to stay. And then they're like, Raita, we need you. And he's like, but I'm happy here. And then he, like, you know, returns. Yeah, but no, like, like, as soon as he could, he wanted to do it again. that way, this could have very easily been a two-parter because this is a dense episode. Yeah, uh, they do not like, waste any time with any element of this story. And just, you know, stretched it out. But I guess maybe when they were looking at the, you know, the episode schedule, they realized they had a lot of stuff to do and they were running out of time. Anyway, Dave, uh, what was your low point? Aside from those jokes? Listen, Dave, uh, those jokes are gold. I, don't, I know that you're not laughing. <laughs> But I guarantee, I guarantee you that at home, or in their car, or at work, the listener loves my stupid time jokes. Um, Okay, I think my low point for this episode is uh, the blatant anachronisms uh, that are in the Stone Age. Just like the huge modern hybridized strawberries, like the very obviously factory manufactured rope. Uh, all of that stuff. It was just very like, like, come on, guys. You could have come up with, like, it would have been pretty easy to do basically those same things and not had them just be very, like, super modern. Uh, and that was sort of a, that was sort of a thing. But like, ultimately, I don't care. Like, this, this episode was like just so bonkers and great uh, that I was still pretty into it. How about you, man? What was your, what was your low uh, point? Other than the fact that you stone-faced me every time I tried to tell a great time joke? <laughs> um, I think my low point has <laughs> just got to be honestly that we didn't get more time-space mammoth because he's such a great look and he's so, like, like, we got just enough to get a real taste for him. You know, like, he hung out in the volcano in eight gems to get his power back and he has clocks all over him and he can travel through time at will and we spent like i don't know two minutes of this episode with him and it kind of breaks my heart it was a totally missed opportunity i i could have done with more time space mammoth that's a real good point but other than that like i loved this episode it was great this is one no it's uh listen man so, uh, well, thank you, no, Matt. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having done that. Uh, so, uh, but I think that's it this yes, week. Yeah, that is going to do it for another episode of the Jetman with the Golden Gun. Before we finish up here, I'd just like to remind you all that you can email the show at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes or check out what we're talking about on Twitter or talk to us there, we are at Super Sentai Bros. If you like the show, and gosh, I hope you do. 
Please remember, shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Please rate and review and subscribe. That's what's going to help new people find the show. If you are one of the people who have done that, my thanks to you. The Retrograde Orbit Radio produces this show, which is a backwards way of how I normally say it, but I looked away from my script this time. Once again, we are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week.